Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, you've been on a bit of a venture this weekend, haven't you? Which is why this has been released late again. Uh, well, some of us have got social last night, you know, uh, been out uh, on the smash, making me feel old, but uh, 20 years since I graduated university. So uh, me and the lads went back to the uh, the site of where it all began for a little uh, weekend session down in Exeter. Um, good little session. You said that it was uh, eye-opening, didn't you? Um, yeah, it, it just totally changed. It was completely different to uh, to what what would happened really. But yeah, it was uh, a weekend full of uh, incident. I think you could say would be uh, would be fair. Well, a female bouncer said something to her to you specifically, didn't she? Uh, a female bouncer said as we were queuing up to go in. Um, by the way. Uh, I can't remember exact words were, but yeah, it's pretty young in there, which is code word for <laughs> you old cunts are going to feel really old going into a nightclub full of youngsters, which we absolutely did. Um, interesting one with one of the lads. Uh, I said I should say allegedly here because none of this can be uh, uh, of course, proved. Yeah. But um, one of the lads was uh, was was walking back, and uh, a couple of gobby young lads started to get a. Uh, little bit out, out of their bag uh, out of their uh, out of their lane so uh mate um called them out so i can see how, how tough these two were one of them uh shouted out some shit next thing you knew he was jiu down to the floor and got smashed in the face and the other mate ran off pretty quickly so um yeah it was a weekend full of incident and hopefully that young lad learned the lesson the hard way of uh old men are a lot harder than they think so one of your mates beat up some school kids while down in, in Exeter. Uh, school, school kids would probably be a little bit of a stretch, but like 18, 19-year-olds. Um, on an unrelated note, what, what's the big scar on your head from? A uh, big scar on my head was from where one of my mates, I say mates, cunt threw an iPhone at my head when we were decamping and chilling uh, at home. I'm just sat there and the next thing is I get an iPhone square to the forehead. So uh, that then started a mini scuffle in the kitchen between me and him uh, over that. So uh, yeah, it was a uh, a weekend full of uh, full of incident, but uh, very enjoyable. What were cracked more, the iPhone or your skull? Uh, definitely the iPhone. <laughs> we'll get straight into it then. Um, before any potential lawsuits are involved, there um, UFC two eight nine has come and gone. Uh, normally, obviously, we would preview the event. Um, because of Ian's excursions this weekend, we've had to review it, which is a bit of a change for us. Um, realistically, there's only two fights that are worth talking about. Again, correct if I'm wrong, Ian. Um, I think it's it's probably safe to say one of them went on a little bit longer. Both were as comprehensive as the other. Um, start with Nunes. Yeah, so I mean, Nunes obviously is kind of undisputedly... You get usually to do when you, you you get a lot of this goat talk recently and who's the greatest ever. Um, Amanda Nunes, I think if you ask 20 MMA journalists who is the best female fighter of all time, they would be pretty, um, would be unanimous that she was the best. There was a, a small period in time where probably Ronda Rousey held that where she had uh, nine armbar finishes in a row before she got massively exposed for the for the one-dimensional fighter that she was and there was Chris Cyborg who was a 
roided up smashing machine uh, at one point that everybody was was scared of. Uh, eventually, they got to cut took a while to get her to the UFC, uh, and then Amanda Nunes beat the living shit out of her. So um, Nunes, I believe, is the only female champ. Champ. She uh, held the bantamweight and the featherweight title. Um, she was fighting. She was due to uh, fight uh, Juliana Penna for for a trilogy, tied at one all, uh, and then. Um, she got injured, so they had a late replacement of a lady called Aldana, who's ranked number five in the in the rankings. And um, there was more rumours as well circulating before the fight that Nunes might retire. That could be her last fight. And um, I can't remember watching a probably a more convincing fight ever. Um, she got Nunes absolutely smashed her. Um, I think one, two, two of the scorecards were 50, 44 and 50, 43. So, uh, incredibly, uh, comprehensive win. And, um, it was indeed the rumors true. She retired at the end of the fight, laid both her belts down in the center of the ring with her gloves. Well, it's interesting you should touch on that. And I've got the scorecards in front of me now. So 50, 44, 50, 44 and 50. 42 10 8 rounds um got to go down as and we had this discussion today funny enough not even arguably but the greatest of all time i've got a list of uh some of the competition that she's faced showing just sort of how great she is um you look at valentina shevchenko beat twice chris cyborg as you've said ronda rousey as you've said holly home maisha tate pena um and two of those i mean chris cyborg and ronda rousey were knocked out in under a minute uh, and were so... both at the time like two of the most frightening fighters, or seen as certainly the most frightening fighters. Um, I mean, not to detract in any way from what she's done, because I think it will be a very, very long time before anyone it comes even close to her as as being being the goat. But the sad thing, obviously, with with women's MMA, still kind of it, maybe not quite in its infancy, but still not quite as popular shall we say uh as the men's game that's uh you know there would certainly be male uf side uh, fighters with probably uh more impressive resumes than that but you can't sleep on that woman she deserves to go down as the greatest she um had a daughter in the cage and her believe it's her wife i don't think it's her partner uh and her wife is pregnant as well so she said that she's going to take some time off, spend some time with the family. And unlike, sadly, with a lot of UFC fighters and boxers generally in terms of the the fake retirements and can they come back, I think she's done for good. I would I would be very, very surprised if we ever saw her uh, in the cage again. I think she's made enough money. Um, she said in a very similar way to Khabib. So I don't know if you remember when Khabib uh, retired, his father had uh, sadly passed away from uh, COVID and uh, his mother was very vocal in saying, I don't want you to fight anymore. Oh, uh, you know, I, you, you've proved everything you can stop. And uh, Nunes said the same, that her mother had been kind of in her ear for a, for a period of time, sort of saying that she wanted her to stop. So in the same way that I can't ever really see Khabib coming back, uh, I think that would probably be... Um, very similar for Nunes, but incredible fighter. Um, as I say, easily the best women's fighter of all time. I mean, it's 
fairly rare, to be honest, that you see someone retire on top in MMA, don't you? You normally see the legends and um, the people who people would consider a hero in the sport go out on their swords. And they usually, beyond their prime, they usually get the head kicked in. And it's it's more sad than anything else. Um, you, you're watching these fighters and you just think, you were so great at the time, nothing can ever be taken away from you. But I've just watched an up-and-comer just basically steal the torch off you and leave you in a heap on the floor. In some with this, she's retiring at 35, the greatest female fighter in UFC and, and MMA history in general. Um She's going to retire to spend time with her family. Can't begrudge her for it. I, I think she's doing absolutely the right thing. I don't think there's anything that are left for her to prove in the division um, or any of the divisions. And I, I don't think that there's anywhere for her to go other than sit at the top of the mountain, you know, go and retire, enjoy the rest of your life. Don't take it too far, end up with brain damage or, or go over the hill. Totally agree. I mean, she, she'd beaten everybody there was to beat. There was no really... You know, there's not like, say, John Jones, we've talked about before, like someone like a Pavlovich, this fucking monster lurking in the background that could cause problems. Um, you've got the complete antithesis of what you're just talking about there, of watching these uh, incredible fighters sadly slide as they continue to fight. Like Anderson Silva springs to mind, was certainly at his peak, one of the greatest, and ended up with a, a record of one and eight. The only two fighters I, I, I can recall, and um, again, I'm happy to be proved wrong here, uh, that probably went out on the top uh, like that would be uh, GSP and Khabib. Khabib, definitely. Um, GSP, yes, I'd argue that as well. Khabib, I mean, unbeaten, unheard of. Um, certainly can't argue against that. But yeah, it, it's refreshingly nice. <laughs> It's probably not the best descriptive word, but uh, to see someone accept, you know what, I'm at the top of my game. I don't need this anymore. I've got a family to go back to. I've got more important things to do. I don't want to push it to the point that, you know, my ears are battered. I can't hear properly. I can't speak. You look at Nate Diaz, for example. Now, nothing against Nate Diaz, but you listen to him do an interview these days and it is mumbling and you worry if there's something a bit more severe in terms of, you know, future brain damage is only so many times you can get your head kicked in quite literally before it, it does long lasting damage. So yeah, I, I think it's it's nice to see and I'm happy for her to go out as she has done. And as I said, she's got nothing left to prove. Um on the, the flip selfishly, side you know, you know, I think that <laughs> I was gonna say the only thing for me selfishly is it is depriving MMA of the best woman fighter. You know, I love to watch her fight. Um, you know, watching her, she was a smashing machine purely from a personal sort of selfish fight. It definitely diminishes both of those divisions in terms of bantamweight and um, uh, featherweight that there's not any really sort of super obvious contenders. Julia Penner would probably be the most obvious at, 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 at um, featherweight. And as I say, I always enjoyed watching her fight because she brought it as well. She was not one of these sort of play it safe very defensive fighters, she would go all out. So I completely agree with you. I think it's very admirable that she did what she did and how she did it. But there's that slightly selfish part of me that that, that wish she'd want, want, wanted to see her fight a little bit more. And I'm sure if I'm, we're, we're totally honest, both the majority of fighters, say top five fighters in both those divisions, probably threw a party on Saturday night that now they've got a chance of... Uh, having um, a far easier fight and a run at the belt as well. Absolutely. And then I, I think 
exactly that. And that's why, whereas I, I would tend to agree with you from a selfish point that it would be nice for her to continue fighting, I'd also flip that round and say, yes, she's clearly at the top of the game. She's clearly better than everyone else. But does that make for more compelling fights to just watch someone who is essentially a juggernaut just steamroll through everyone because no one else is on a level. So you're going to get more competitive matchups, but I completely agree. Um, You're losing a fantastic fighter, but for the right reasons, thankfully. Um, Just on the the flip side of that, as I say, we were talking about scorecards earlier on. I've got a scorecard for Oliveira and Dariush. It's blank. Um, Why is it blank? It didn't even (laughs) last a round. That would be why. And... um, (laughs) I mean, Dariush has been one of those fighters that um, slightly boogeyman-esque in terms of he was on an eight-fight run, you know, a smashing machine, not great to watch. As again, we've discussed him in previous podcasts that very, very good wrestling. He would get you down and incredibly strong, massive guy. I mean, if you saw how big he looked after the weigh-in in terms of hydration, he was he was fucking huge. For, for lightweight, how much he put back on with a record of 22, 4 and 1. Uh, and when you then look at Charles Oliveira, uh, his record at 33 and 9, you know, on paper, not quite so impressive. But um, Oliveira absolutely smashed him. And uh, Oliveira is another one that uh, is a very, very clear record holder in the UFC. So he has the most submission victories ever with 16. And he also has four knockouts to his name as well. So 20 finishes in the UFC, which is also a record. Well, he wants the the Islam rematch, didn't he? He called it out very, very quickly um, and has has essentially said, I I want that rematch. He said a few days before um, the the events, uh, 289, that it wasn't him in that loss to Islam. So essentially saying that he wasn't feeling right, he wasn't there, and in a rematch he would take that. I'm curious as to what you think about that. Do you think he has a chance to take it? Well, he obviously has a chance, but do you see him realistically winning? I mean, everybody says that, don't they, when they lose? And there definitely could be some truth in that. There's plenty of fighters that have had bad training camps, they've had injuries, they've kept on the down low that they don't because they don't want to put out, they want to get their money. You know, that that's a, probably a 50-50 call that some of that might be true. Some of that might just not be um, that he's just better than him. I don't know if you saw a new thing they seem to be doing with the UFC now. Again, just showing you the, the, the nightmare of the promotion, the, the, the sponsorship side I find that the UFC has now is, did you see how... Uh, so Islam tweeted, and we'll come on to that mid-fight. The UFC actually has a social media sponsor that when <laughs> Cormier is discussing with Charles Oliveira what happened, they flash up the tweet from Islam and say, via our social media sponsor. And you're like, Jesus Christ, I mean, how many sponsors? But I don't know if you saw it, but um, Islam's uh, response was, I thought pretty good and pretty succinct, which pretty um, again kind of shows that what a decent sort of bloke he is. He said, well done, really good fight, Charles, but there's levels to this game. And I can't help but feel personally there's an element of truth in that, that as good as Oliveira is, even on his best day, I'm not so sure he can take Islam. Can anyone take Islam? Because obviously in, in the lightweight division, you've got, 
Poirier, you've got Gage. Um, obviously, Dariush was considered up there. Uh, Fizaev was considered up there until the Gage fight. Can anyone take him out? Uh, not a lightweight for me in the form he's in. Again, unless he slides off, unless he takes his foot off the gas, unless he has a bad camp. I think the obvious move for him um, personally and the one that I'd like to see where you'd probably see some more um, competitive fights, if we call it that, is if he moved up to welterweight. Uh, he's a pretty big guy anyway. I'm sure he could he could do that. Um, and I think at that point, he would potentially be the the smaller fighter compared to a lot of the guys in there. And there is obviously some pretty nasty competition at welterweight. You've got your, your people like Usman, who would be a bad matchup in terms of he's probably stronger than Islam and he's got the wrestling to, to match. You've got, obviously, our own uh, Leon Edwards. Uh, personally, I think that would be a bad matchup for Edwards. I could see Islam beating Edwards, if I'm if I'm completely honest. But for me, I, I, I don't see anybody at lightweight beating Islam for, for a while, if I'm honest. Do you see Gergi taking him out? No, I think he's, he's, he's just smothering. He's, he's too cerebral in terms of he's not going to stand there and, and bang with Gagey. Uh Only lunatics do that or people who are <laughs> incredibly uh, hard, like someone like Fizayev, who's like, do you know what, let's go for it. It's not a chance in hell that someone like Islam would, would in the same way that Khabib wouldn't, Khabib, you know, with Connor. He's not going to stand and have a kickboxing fight with Connor because he knows he's probably going to lose. So, um as much as I love Gage and everybody knows I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge fan, he would get apps. That would be a, a one round fight. Islam would take him down, pound him out, and Gage would be able to do very, very little to get him off personally. But um, yeah, I think unless he starts to go up in weight, he's going to have a pretty long title reign, uh, in my opinion. I would say Islam. Have you caught up with uh, the Ultimate Fighter? Yeah. I have, and I think, did I not give you a spoiler alert? Because I've watched the two, you've only watched the first one. So uh, I have seen, uh, I have watched uh, the first two. Um, it, I, admittedly, I, I loved it when it first came out. I probably watched, if I'm honest, the first 10 or 11 seasons. Uh, and it was it was pretty consistent in terms of its format that you would have. I think we've talked about it before, so not to go over old ground. You know, two professional fighters, they would pick their te- their teams uh, and the teams would be, um, you know, up and coming um, fighters, usually from like sort of lower level promotions, like LFC, uh, you know, Cage Rage, that, that type of thing. So they're professional fighters, but they're not at UFC level. Um, there was one that was very, very interesting, I remember, which was season four which was where they brought back um, a lot of uh, former UFC fighters that had been cut with the uh, the carrot dangled, was if you won, you got the title fight against GSP. And that led to one of the biggest upsets in MMA history because Matt Serra actually won that tournament, fought GSP and beat him, which was, as you say, one of the biggest shocks going uh, GSP absolutely smashed him in the rematch and, uh, and 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 earned that back. But the 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 interesting format I've noticed obviously this year is they've gone with what they're calling vets and newbies. So each team in terms of the two weight classes is split into former UFC fighters and these newer fighters that have not been in the UFC before. 
Um, so you've obviously got Connor and Chandler um, and another uh, new point, as I say, this this could have been happening for the last few years, to be honest, because as I say, it's been a while since I watched it. But they also then took, they've got four fighters in each class and then the coaches get to rank them between one and four. And then that ranking determines who fights who. So number one fights number four, number two fights number three, and then they 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 go through and and, and progress uh, onto the final. So um, first fight was um, I haven't got his name down, but um, he it was over in probably twenty seconds, if that, and it was the vet uh, that won um, a chap on. Uh, Chandler's team uh, and he absolutely smashed the guy on Connor's team very 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 quickly and very very impressively uh, in the first in the first episode it was in within like maybe 10 seconds if that uh, yeah so it was one of the quickest finishes ever in 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 tough um, it was it was super quick in terms of how quick it was um, I can't remember um, it, exactly it's got how it yeah, it's, it's got to be up there in in terms of uh, one of the quickest ones I've seen. I mean, what I would say is I'm still confused by it. And we have, I mean, you've seen the, the second one, um, so you can tell me a bit more about it. Um, but I'm more confused by the fact that it seems as though after losing the first fight, so when he, he obviously got knocked out quite quickly. So when he lost that first fight, we had a bit of a disagreement in that I thought that he was essentially not out of the tournament and getting another chance because all his teammates were saying, you know, back to the gym and all this sort of stuff. And you think that he's out. So without me seeing the second episode, is that confirmed? Do they say that he's definitely out now? or It, it seems that way. Uh, I, I think okay. it was more kind of... Um... Should we call it motivational talk from Connor to say you're not done? You know, let's get back to the gym. Just because you've lost doesn't mean because because what will often happen as well in tough is it used to originally be that the winner of the the, the brackets that got through the whole point and 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 the prize that you were looking for was uh, a USD contract. Yeah. Um, and a, a, as it's gone on, they the the, the most fight, famous one obviously being the original uh, tough, which had still one of the We've talked about it on the Bonner segment, uh, Stefan Bonner versus uh, Griffin. Dana White was so impressed with the fights, he, ba- he gave him both a contract. And yeah. what you see these days is if someone comes out, and even if they lose in a very impressive manner, they will still get a contract. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's you know three or four contracts handed out. But certainly from the way the second episode went, and I won't give you any spoil. I mean, I've got a couple of bits I can talk about, but won't be spoilers for it, but we can discuss but it certainly would appear that that's the case, that it's, you know, the guy knocked out, he's out. One thing that they do often do is to keep them training is because you get things like injuries. So you can then get someone who carries on in the bracket. Uh, there's some kind of injury that then puts them out and they'll put one of the fighters who's lost back into the bracket to carry on. But it certainly seemed that that was it. Once once the guy had lost, um, he was out. I mean, I'll... I'll let you spoil on fault for, for not catching up. So give us a bit of a rundown on the second episode. 
So the second one was uh, a weird one uh, in that they had the first, the, the, so the second fight uh, was ready to go. And then on the day of the fight, um, the doctor comes in and stops it and says, um, no, we, the guy can't fight. And everyone's like, what, 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 what's the injury? I could give you a million guesses and I bet you'd never guess what the injury was that stopped the fight. Cause I've never heard this in my life. The injury was a cold sore. I'm not even joking. A cold sore round his mouth. Now, the only thing that I can possibly think of is them being nice and it looked more than a cold sore. And I wondered if it was a staph infection. I was going to say it, it sounds far more like a cat. A cold sore. Why, like why wouldn't effective? they just say that? But I mean, I've literally never ever heard of a professional MMA fight not called off because of a cold sore. So what they did was is they kind of rejigged weeks two and three. So they moved up uh, the fight that was due for number three um, to, to this week and moved the guy with the cold sore and said, "Look, if you take these antibiotics, you should be all right to fight next week." Um, you felt really sorry for the two guys because they'd both obviously been for a weight cut. You know, they both looked absolutely drained and and, and really gutted. I and mean, particularly the poor guy that couldn't fight and, and was ready to fight looked absolutely devastated. But to be fair to him, took it like an absolute champ. You know, some people would be getting angry, getting agy. He was pretty much like, Do you know what? Fair enough. That's the it. That's what it is. That's what it is. So uh, they moved on to. The third fight, which was a guy called Mondo, who was Connor's number one pick at bantamweight, yeah, uh, against a uh, former UFC, uh, UFC fighter called Cody Gibson, who is actually the most experienced vet in the whole uh, thing. So he's number four. So basically, he should have got his ass handed to him. Another very, very convincing win. And shows again, there's levels to these games and these new lads coming in thinking, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty tough. Cody Gibson uh, TKO'd him um, in the second round, I think. Um, so at the moment, it is 2-0 to Chandler's team. I'm going to say Connor's not doing too well then. Not as good as a, uh, a trainer. I, is I'll be honest, he's, he's taken it quite well. He hasn't got too stroppy yet. He hasn't got, you know, he, he, and he actually comes across, whether this is editing or not, as quite a you know, understanding and, and, and motivational coach, the guys that are losing. You also see a side of Connor, which is often not the case, given the persona that he often has and is given, but he's in the house a lot. He's he's making friends with all of the fighters, including the, 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 the guys on Chandler's team. He's not, you know, very split loyalties. There's some really nice footage of him. He's obviously got his proper 12 out and he's drinking with, with the lads, but there's some really nice sort of clips of him chatting to people about pictures that they've got pictures of their family and why they're fighting. And it was actually quite refreshing to see like quite a compassionate and caring side of Connor, which I'm sure is heavily done for some editing and, and the UFC's benefit to make him look good. But yeah, Connor comes across in, in the two I've seen so far very, very well. Chandler doesn't seem, whilst he's good as a coach, he doesn't seem that interested in interacting with the fighters when they're back in the in the in the tough house. I mean, you say that McGregor hasn't been stropping. Uh, I would disagree. I have seen footage of him fighting a rather large bird, 
I can only describe it as um, <laughs> in, in the uh, the basketball match between uh, Miami Heat and I can't remember the, the other team that they were playing. Uh, but Bernie, Bernie the the bird, is it? But is in the was, hospital. Sparked <laughs> out. I mean, this one that I saw. Obviously, this is nothing to do with tough, but uh, and this only happened last night, I think. But um, Dana chimed in with this one, but like. What do these people think when they want and they want someone to come in and like, yeah, let's get a professional fighter to punch me in the face. And I don't know if there's this misguided view that because he's got a bird suit on and a silly fucking helmet that that means, oh, I can take a punch. That's not going to matter. But the thing that I couldn't quite understand about it is McGregor cracks him and this guy goes down. And then he hits him with a fucking hammer fist while he's on the floor as well. So uh, I, 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 that, that one, I'll, I'll be honest, that again completely goes against the the nice side of Connor that you, you've been seeing in 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 the in the the Ultimate Fighter, and just seemed an incredibly bad call all the way round in terms of doing that. But um, I, mean, I would say I don't think he actually was supposed to spark him out. I get the feeling that it was one of these where it's like, oh, Connor, do us a favor. You're not be really funny. Just pretend to swing at him and then just don't actually connect and clearly it's gone wrong whether the guy stepped forward or whether he's overthrown the oh no from what i saw he just cracked him i mean the the, (laughs) the bit that lives with me that i thought was fucking hilarious is watching the mascot get dragged off by his feet (laughs) so he's clearly out cold and he's just getting dragged off the court sparked out but um yeah someone a lot smarter than me would have to explain the rationale in doing that and what the benefit or idea behind that was. Uh, last bit on UFC then this week and MMA in general. Uh, Poetan uh, allegedly promised a 205 title fight if he wins his next fight. Indeed. So we talked about this again. He's he's fighting uh, Blahovic. Um, again, no joke and certainly someone not to be messed with. Very, very powerful puncher. Um, and um, the feeling you're going to get is that that will be uh, the next title fight. So they've already said, given um, the very honourable way that uh, Prohaska gave up the title when he was injured, uh, and obviously Jamil Hill came in and uh, surprised everybody against Glover and took that title, and have pretty much said as much that Hill... Uh, Prohaska is the next fight, but yeah, according to Dana, uh, Poetang, if he beats Blahovic, will be the next fight for that title. And um, again, um, be interesting to see how well he does not having to do the savage weight cap that he does. But one thing uh, I did see, I don't know if you saw this, but I don't know if you saw there was a picture of uh, Poetang next to Tyson Fury. Did you happen to see this? No, I haven't. Jesus Christ. Given that Tyson Fury is supposed to be five foot nine, and my understanding is that Poetan is five six foot nine. Sorry, six foot nine. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> and Poetan is supposed to be six foot four. Poetan looks fucking huge. Now, I don't know if he's wearing heels or he's got some shit on like that, but there's a picture of him next to each other. And there looks like barely an inch or two difference between the two of them. Poetan looks huge. So he is, he is a bad matchup for anyone. Um, and uh, as you say, I almost want Hill Brahaska to happen quick. 
uh, and Poetan to win so that we can move on to see Poetan uh, and how he handles the the two hundred five division because he could be uh he could be again he could be the um, the Nunes of that division and and the John Jones esque take over that and then just be a nightmare to beat. Prahaska Pereira does whet the appetite quite a bit, doesn't it? That the idea of that fight going ahead, um, I, I can imagine will sell quite a number of um, tickets and a number of PPVs. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I mean, obviously, is um, you know, nickname for Jamal Hill is uh, Sweet Dreams, and I think more and more people still sleep on that guy. That guy is incredibly well-rounded, and strikes me that he's in that phase of his career where every day he's learning and improving, and every all, all the time that Prohaska is still healing, he's just getting better. So, as much as I like Prohaska. Uh, I'll be honest. If I was, I was having a bet on that. I think Jamal Hill wins that one. I mean, we slept on him last time, didn't we? I think we both said uh, Hill's got absolutely no chance here, and then all of a sudden, hang on a second. Champion. I think that was someone else said he had no chance. <laughs> I think I you like, said it. I think you were going. Oh, this is a give for Glover. They're just going to give it to him. And I was like, hang on. I, I would expect Glover to win, but Hill is no joke. I, I, I definitely didn't say he was definitely going to win, but. Um, he poses a very, he's a huge guy, good wrestling, big power. He, he's, he's, he's not an easy out for anybody. But yeah, that, that will certainly, there's no announcement timeline on that yet. I think Prohaska is still nursing that really bad shoulder injury he had, but he's definitely back in full time training. So I would expect that one to happen, you know, October, November, perhaps towards the end of the year. Great of all time being joined by Messi in his club isn't he? David Beckham the greatest of all time has uh, pushed to make sure that he's signed Lionel Messi for Inter Miami in the MLS so he's going to get a nice holiday yeah interesting one I mean I've got to be honest I'd much prefer I wanted him to go to the MLS as opposed to Saudi Arabia where he's just going to be pointless and just raking in money he's got enough billions in the bank he doesn't need any more money from that point of view from the competitive standpoint, um, the MLS isn't the, the most competitive league in the world, but it's certainly infinitely more competitive than than, than Saudi Arabia. So I, I've got to be honest, I was pleased about that. Uh, what I quite like is that they are, well, for a start, they've bounced um, Phil Neville, because can you imagine Phil Neville managing the greatest world, the world's greatest ever player? That would be the ultimate joke. Um, but the the interesting news I read that seems to be coming out is that uh, Miami are really going for it and then they're going to really try and build a team around Messi. So not only are they trying to pick up uh, Busquets uh, on a free because uh, he's leaving Barca this year as well, they are get uh, then trying to get Angle Di Maria from Juve on a free and they're even trying to get uh, Luis Suarez over from Gremio as well. And I'll tell you what, you put them four in a team in the MLS, um, you might as well just hand the trophy over to Miami, I would say, even though they're bottom of the league at the moment. But that would be a, a pretty impressive team in, in the MLS. I can tell you don't listen to me because I've just called David Beckham the greatest of all time and you just completely blanked me and ignored me. Because um, it was such nonsense <laughs> that I thought it didn't even justify a response. But yeah, you raise a good point. Um, in Miami, a very sort of rock bottom at the moment. They've lost 12 games all season, only won uh, five. Not drawn a game all season, which is a strange stat. Um, 
pretty, I think, like seven points off the final series playoffs, which makes me feel sick to say it out loud. Um, and that's what it's called. Um, but yeah, they, they, they've Any got a lot of work to do. there, given they had a Neville in charge. Uh, you know, is, is 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 that not what you'd expect from someone managed by Gary or Phil Neville? Um, but um, has he got a job in Canada? Did I misread that? Has he gone to join the Canadian staff? Uh, I hadn't seen that. I I, I couldn't uh, confirm or deny that, but I I hadn't seen that. I'd be surprised if he got a job ever again, given how dog shit as a manager he is personally. But yeah, as a um, a coach for Canada, the Canadian national team. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know. The one thing I don't know, I've got to be honest, is how quickly Messi joins in terms of, is it immediately? And, you know, he's available for the next game and bang in and he gives them a chance to try and get into those playoffs. Or is it a case of building that team ready for next season? Um, I'm not sure about that. I've got to be honest. Apart from him, him signing, but um, I, I say personally, I'm 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 glad that he's joined uh, the MLS as opposed to uh, Karim Benzema joining Ronaldo in um, Saudi Arabia, joining Al Etihad for four hundred million apparently <laughs> for a two hundred for a two year deal. Well, I mean, you look at the, some of the values that are being banded about, and there's, there's people like Kante as well that have also been apparently offered these mega sums. 86 um, million Kante for a two-year deal. Mental. But what I would say is just back on Messi, I know that there were rumours that they were being offered a billion or something ridiculous to join over the, the year or the two years. Uh, there was a report from Forbes um, today which says that his MLS stint contributes to Adidas's growth story means that it will tack on about seven billion dollars in market value according to their analysis just because of him joining into Miami it's absolutely ridiculous how much that guy runs football even at his age now oh totally and I mean again all that the TV rights will go through the roof the, the the sponsors for the team for the rest of the league wanting to watch Messi and things like that you know he's Every game is sold out. Every Inter Miami game now is sold out till the end of the season for every team, like away games as well. But it's mental is it? Is it particularly surprising when they've just signed the world's greatest ever player? You know, I, I hear what you're saying, but that doesn't really. I've got to be honest; that comes as no shock to me whatsoever. Um, Here's a question you, for you then, just before we go on to um, talk a bit further about the, the Saudi league as well, and, and the same question will be posed for the Saudi league. We've seen this happen quite similar. Similarly, similarly, anyway, um, almost the same vein as the Chinese league tried this a few years back, in which they basically thought, right, we're going to go out, um, have this marquee player rule, we're going to sign all these random players, uh, to try and join. I think William went at one point, I'm trying to think, did Hulk go at one point as well? All these set players, loads of uh, publicity, Oscar, I think, after the stint, at, um when he did quite well for the Brazilian national team and at Chelsea. Everyone saw it as the um, the new league that's going to be arisen. A, 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 a that's not that make any sense. But anyway, um, and then it, it died. <laughs> it died a few years after that. You don't really hear about the Chinese league uh, ever again. Or you haven't heard about the Chinese league for, for quite some time. Um, the Saudi league are now trying it. Now, obviously, we've seen that they've invested quite a lot of money in football in general. Newcastle's <clears throat> quote unquote fairy tale story. I, I don't think so. Uh, but anyway, 
Um, do these transfers, to the point I'll try to make, do these transfers, specifically Messi as well, uh, especially Messi, heighten the stature of these leagues to the point where when they go, and Messi obviously only has a few years left, Benzema has only a few years left, Kante, if he goes, only has a few years left. When they go, and once they retire, are those leagues still going to be very popular or are we going to see a very sharp hill, very sharp projection looking like it's really popular? Then as soon as the players go, it goes off a cliff again. Uh, Saudi, I think, yeah, because I don't think they can continue to uh, attract the type of players that they are and pay those sort of monies and especially the age demographic of the people they're getting, 36, 37, 38 does anyone really care? And does anyone really you, put it this way? If you suddenly uh, flick on your TV and Al Ittihad are playing Al Nasser, and that means Benzema's playing Ronaldo, are you going to watch that? I couldn't no. give a fuck. I'm not watching that. Whereas I would watch Messi and some of the games in in um, America. I think America because of the the lifestyle that you get, the fact that these players, even though they are incredibly famous elsewhere and get mobbed, particularly some of the places like when they go to LA, you know, they're still seen as maybe not A-list celebrities because you've got movie stars and people like that. So they seem to be able to live more discreet lives, if that's the right word to, to, to put it. So I think America has a better chance of continuing to build on those signings and, and carry on. Um, the only thing I'd point out, I think that's worth mentioning about the Chinese league where they fucked up was they really went for it. And what you had was obviously a lot of Chinese um, companies were buying teams and bankrolling them. So a lot of these Chinese well, corporations, because they, they, sorry, they bought wolves, didn't they? They did, but you had, I'm trying to think, there was a, a, a company called Sunning that also bought uh, Inter Milan. You had a lot of these, again, most of us wouldn't have heard of them, but they're huge billion pound corporations in China and were buying teams. Where that suddenly went wrong and completely fucked their league was because of the amount of money they were splashing and uh, paying and, 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 and doing that. The Chinese, uh, and it was almost causing an impact to the league that every team was filling filling the team with Brazilians and foreigners rather than um, sort of homegrown Chinese talent. Uh, The Chinese league saw it in their infinite wisdom to bring in this tax. And the tax was basically whatever 50% of the value you paid as a transfer fee had to go to the league. So when you were that people will be getting bought for like, you know, Hulk, I think got bought for something like 50 or 60 million. They then had to pay 30 million to the league. And that, 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 that you can almost trace the whole decline of their league to the moment they brought that rule in because it just became too expensive to carry on buying all of these superstar signings. So I think China fucked themselves by trying to be too clever there if they had if they had not brought that in and it had carried on in the vein that it was I I could have seen that league carrying on building and them getting more and more players and and probably being more established now than it was and not dropped off the face of a cliff I mean the only two players that I know of any note that still play in China is Oscar does still play there uh and uh Fellaini still plays there as well (laughs) Christ 
Um, but yeah, I think that, that, that for me was the difference with China. That was where they went wrong, trying to be a bit too clever. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I get it. It was causing an impact on the youth system of, of the Chinese. The Chinese players weren't coming through because they're buying all of these foreigners. But that was a, a really bad decision on their part for me. Uh, we've mentioned earlier Nunes retiring from UFC. Uh, we've also seen, can we say a legend? I mean, it'll go down in the history books. Um, Ibrahimovic has retired at 41. Personally, I'd say it has to be a legend. I mean, if you look at his CV in terms of teams that he played for, um, has... Or I'd, I'd pose the question to you. I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown in a minute. Can, is there a player that's ever played for a better selection of teams than he played for? Ajax, Juve, Inter, Barca, AC Milan twice, PSG, Man United, LA Galaxy. All right, ignore the last one. But has is there a player that's ever had a CV as good as that? Um, what's his name? Oh my god, I'm completely blank. Um, Cooper Motting. What were his? He had a really odd one. Stoke and PSG. That's the one. And Bayern Munich. <laughs> uh, yeah, not quite the same level, probably. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think he's got to go down uh, uh, as a legend. I mean, he'll probably be apart from all of his shenanigans and you know you know talking about himself in the third person how can you never forget that for over overhead 35 yard goal against England makes feel sick uh, thinking about in it. the Euros um and I had a quick look he uh his over, overall uh, record 186 uh, 186 games 511 goals which is pretty impressive at PSG, admittedly, it was that was the point. He was the focal point of the team. That's when they were absolutely smashing the league because it was a, it was dog shit. But he had 180 games and 156 goals. So I, I would legend gets probably banded around a little bit too much these days. But for me, he must be close to be close close to that. Uh, uh, and, and to, to be playing on at 41 at the level he was as well. Admittedly, injuries the last few seasons curtailed his career a little bit, but um, incredible player for me. I always loved him. Do you remember um, the ad he took out when he signed for LA Galaxy? In the, I do. Uh, with the lion. Game. Didn't he have a lion in it with him or something like that on the front page? Well, the one that I remember was just a blank page and it just literally said, so at the very top corner, it just said, Dear Los Angeles. You're welcome, and then it was his signature at bottom. And still, I think the you took story the of, that page up. There was a story here that you've got. A, uh, uh, I mean, again, in terms of a man and the self confidence, he signed for LA Galaxy. I don't know if you if, if you know this story. I, I might have mentioned it to be fair on the podcast before, but when he joined, LeBron James sent him a signed <laughs> jersey uh, to him. And he signed it and sent it to him back. <laughs> Just like, now that, I mean, that's some ballsy shit. But uh, yeah, I mean, some people would hate that level of confidence and arrogance that he had. But for me, the way that he used to strut around, the only other one I'll mention that, again, I always sticks in my mind. I don't know if you ever, he's the only person I've ever seen play a back 
pass. And when I say a back pass, I don't know if you remember when he played for Barcelona, a ball comes over the top and from his back, he literally on his back sort of knocked it back and Messi hit the ball in and scored. It was one of the best pieces of skill I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone else ever do that in a football match ever. Just run, uh, run through some very quick quotes from him. Just looking here. Um, when Sweden were knocked out of the playoffs um, for the Brazilian World Cup, he said, one thing that is for sure, a World Cup without me is nothing to watch. Um, there's a one point where John Carew uh, turned around and said that his skills were pointless, to which he replied, what Carew does with a football, I can do with an orange. Um, joking about Liverpool's defence here's one for you Um, and in particular Stefan Henchos Henchos and Hippier two of the greatest centre-back pairings ever he said uh, first I went left and then he did two then I went right and he did two then I went left again and he went to buy a hot dog <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, he'll, he'll definitely go down in history. Um, I always feel like the word legend is banded about. His stories alone are probably legendary, but um, yeah, you can't argue with his CV whatsoever. I know you're probably desperate to talk about the fact that you've made a signing so early on in the transfer window, which I don't think is opened yet, has it? Uh, no, I don't think we're going to officially sign him as yet, but uh, McAllister, which I think is a very much a. a, a and underwhelming compared to Bellingham and all season, at the, particularly at the start of the, the podcast, I was convinced that we were going to get Bellingham and um, when I had uh, been made to look a bit of a mug there. But uh, McAllister has been a absolutely fantastic player. And I think it would be not hyperbole to say he's been Brighton's best player this season. Particularly yeah. I saw some stats on him in terms of through balls, recoveries, passes, you know, he, he ranked number one for an incredible amount of, of stats for them. Uh, it's a release clause as low as 35 mil, rising to 55, depending on um, uh, add-ons. Uh, and I think he is incredibly talented in terms of the variety of positions he can play. Um, I think my own view is his best positions is an eight. And I think that's where we're playing. Um, uh, he can play uh, and, and I think prefers to be a 10 just behind a striker. But obviously with the, the, the formation that we play of a 4-3-3, unless um, Klopp's going to do some tinkering there, I don't really see him getting in uh, to that position. And he's certainly not good enough to play uh, on, on either of the wings. So I see him a bit deeper uh, as an eight, I think there'll be Fabinho will keep as our defensive mid. I think uh, McAllister goes in straight away as as, as the second midfielder, and then um, we've been linked with two others, and I'm pretty sure we'll get one if not the other. Which is one is Kone from uh, Munchen Gladbach, young French lad, 22, very good player, and the other one who apparently, again, how much of this you believe? We've agreed personal terms with, but not a fee, is um, Lillian Turam's son, Kefren Turam from Nice. I really like Turam. Uh, I think he's the better of the two, in all honesty, unless you're going to get both. But I, I do really like Turam. I rate him. I think both would be a little bit over the top for me. I think I know we've lost uh, a few midfielders in, in Milner, in Oxlade-Chamberlain and, and uh, Keita, but I don't really see the need for us to spend all that money on those three, because I don't think he would play, all three would play immediately. I still think he would play Fabinho. 
but um, one of those two, and I would agree with you that um, Chiram would be the one that I'd go for. But I think McAllister, Fabinho, Chiram, that adds a whole new dynamism to our midfield that we've been lacking this season and would instantly put us back in with a pretty good chance of, you know, top three uh, next season. I mean, weirdly, Romano, big, big fab, um, says that you are going for two midfielders anyway. So whether you go for one of those two and then a younger midfielder and someone that you can might bring into or blood into the squad, that would probably make sense considering a majority of your, your more recent signings have been a little bit older, obviously, uh, with the exception of people like Gakpo. Um, and then you want a centre-back, apparently. I think you've done it completely wrong, in all honesty. I think you should have looked at who Brighton are going to replace McAllister with and gone for him because the way that their scouting uh, network is, they're probably going to pull out some, you know, half a million pound signing and he's going to be worth about a billion pounds next season. I see your point, but haven't they already done it? They bought, haven't they got that Dahoud on a free from Dortmund? There you go. So they've not paid anything and he'll be worth a billion pounds next season. But he definitely wouldn't go anywhere near my team at Liverpool. But, um, Talk of obviously Bellingham has signed for Real. I think we can't uh, escape that point that that um, you know uh, felt like for the last few months was by far and away the most obvious move. Um, I'm still interested to see whether he goes immediately into that team, given the the, the young quality of um, midfielders that they've got in terms of Tuchemeni, uh, Valverde, Camavinga. Uh, you know, they, they've got a, a, an incredible team there. But uh, I had a quick one for you, a little stat I pulled up. Um, whether you want to have a few guesses here or I just run through them, but I've got the top 10 most expensive teenagers of all time. And some are pretty obvious and very, you know, you think, yeah, they were deserved and that was the case. There are a couple on there. You think, what the fuck were people thinking of when that happened? Um, but Mbappe, how old were, Mbappe's got to be one, hasn't he? Number one, 180 million euros, but yep, correct, number one. Um, there was the kid. Been on number two. Been on loan at Chelsea, number two. Joe Felix. Joe Felix, 126 million from Benfica to uh, Madrid at number Is two. It- the kid who went to, I, can't, I keep saying kid, uh, went to Wolves and I don't think he actually played for him. I think he got loaned straight out. Did they get him from Porto and he was supposed to be a revelation? Silver? I'm going to give you massive props here because he is on there. I never would have got it. And he is the biggest and the most absolute ridiculous name on the list. Fabio Silva, That's number cool. eight, 40 million from Porto to Wolves at number eight. Wait, but, he, he spent last season on loan, didn't he? I'm trying to think where he went. It was Anderlecht. Uh, Anderlecht, this season, he was that bad at Anderlecht, they bounced him to PSV. (laughs) He was that shit at Anderlecht for half a season, but that's a great shout. I didn't think you'd get that one. Um, Number three, uh, Dutch player, incredibly good centre-back. Need more of a clue. uh... Ajax to Juve. Delit? Delight? Correct. 85 mil. Um, Number four. There's one... Uh, who Madrid bought this season, um, young kid, and I can't, I, I won't remember his name. 
I'll never get You've it. You've got that one right as well. You've nailed that one. He is 16, so he can't even move for two years. Endrick Palmeiras to uh, Real Madrid at 72 mil. So there'll, doing... there'll be quite a few from Madrid, won't there? There is. You're coming up. But, I mean, you're doing a lot better than I expected here, mate. You're doing pretty well. Num- <laughs> oh, number thanks. number five. Five caught me by a bit by surprise, I'll be honest. I'm not, not sure you'll get this one. French. More of a clue. Scum. Uh, from? Monaco. Martial. Correct. £60 million. Pounds. Uh, is, it, remember, is that how much he was? That's how much he was. I remember him coming on on his debut, scoring two goals against Liverpool and being completely dog shit for the next seven years. Because Martin but, Tyler... Um, nearly spunked his pants, didn't he? When he were, uh, he did. Oh yes, like that. But he was number five. Number six is another one of your Brazilians, Santos to Real Madrid, forty-five mil. Uh, Rodrigo, correct. Number seven, the other obvious one from to Real Madrid, Brazilian, forty-five mil. Vinicius Junior, correct. Eight is Fabio Silva, who we've already talked about. Number nine was a surprising one for me. English fella, left back. No, I don't know this one. Luke Shaw, 37.5 mil from Southampton to Man U. And number 10 uh, was Rooney, 37 mil from Everton to Man U. I pat myself on the back. I thought I did quite well there. You did very well, mate. I'll be honest, I, no way in the world. I, I, I put my knowledge up against a lot of people with these things. There's no way in the world I would have got Fabio Silva. I think I would have got a few. The one just on that that really excites me, I don't know again how much you've seen of him, but Endrick, he looks fucking amazing. That, that, he, will, he will be the best player in the world within three or four years easily. It's a weird sign, is that, because... And this happens a lot, doesn't it? When he did sign, people were like, how much? That's a ridiculous fee. But then you'd probably say the same, and I'm sure people did say the same, about Rodrigo and Venetius Jr. But they seem to pick these gems out and they always seem to work off for him. For, uh, Do you not think they just just playing devil's advocate with you for a second? Venetius Jr., absolutely, no doubt, one of the best wingers in the world, probably top five players in the world. Last two years in particular has been incredible. Rodrigo, for me... I think still has quite a lot to do. His numbers in terms of his goals, contributions and assists, I personally don't feel he's ever got... Still young, plenty of time to do that, but he feels a disappointment to me compared to when you're looking at that he's the same age as Vinicius Jr. and what he's done. I would question him that I don't think he's quite at that level yet, but Vinicius Jr. is incredible. But I expect Endrick to go on and, and, and better that personally from what I've seen. I feel it's harsh on Rodrigo. I'm just looking at his stats now. So, 34 matches in La Liga, nine goals, eight assists. I'd, I'd have begged for that with a player last Look season. at Vinicius Juniors, though. Vinicius Juniors, what, like 17 goals and 11 assists? Something like that? But, but he's had an outstanding season. Isn't he? I think it's cruel to compare them both as saying one should be as equal as the other. Um, it might be that Rodrigo has an outstanding season next season. You don't know. You don't know. Very true, and, and maybe I'm, I'm being quick to judge. Um, the only other thing I've got for you, just because I thought we were a bit light on football um, this year, uh, this week, um, I thought this was quite an interesting stat that I saw. So I saw a little top 10 ranking the top goal scorers in Europe 
by their conversion rate, which I think is quite interesting sometimes because you get your certain players that bang these goals in, but they get a ridiculous load of chances. I mean, Andy Cole was always that classic one, scored loads of goals. Uh, I think his conversion rate was like one in six. He had a ridiculously poor conversion rate, but um, I've got the top 10 here. I mean, again, this is probably getting a bit extreme to ask. I was going to say, these, but, let um, me guess the top one. Can I guess the top one? Um, let me find the top one. You can. Well, before you find it, let me tell you who the top one is. I will eat my microphone live on this podcast if it isn't Erling Haaland. Well, get that microphone out. Get some ketchup on that shit. Fuck and... off. No, it's... Harland, 34%. It had to be Harland. Harland at 34%. Uh, Interesting one at number two, because I saw, given he had a a pretty poor few years at Arsenal, has come back with 27 goals this year, is Lacazette, 31% conversion rate, which is fucking impressive. It is impressive. Um, You've got Harry Kane, 30% conversion rate, which again, in a very, very poor Spurs team, is very impressive. Could you see him at Madrid, by the way? Because Scum, oh, sorry, Manchester United seem to have dialed back on um, wanting him, I think, because of the, the reluctance from um, Levy to sell him for an acceptable price. No, purely on the basis that we've talked to think about again, maybe about it before. I think he wants to stay in England to take Shearer's record. And if, of course, if he goes abroad, he can't do that. So personally, that might be a silly reason not to go and to go to Real Madrid and play with all those players that he could do. But personally, I think if, if he's good, I, I think he, he he either goes to the scum this year or stays at Spurs and then he goes somewhere on a free, which would probably be the scum on a free next year, personally. But I think he wants to stay and break Shearer's record in England. I still think he needs to go win somewhere. Even if, like, it sounds ridiculous because... I don't necessarily want them to get any stronger because obviously I'm a Leeds fan, but I'd rather see him at Man U to do something. I feel like Korea, even if he gets that record, that's not winning anything and someone as talented as him needs to win something. And that, that's the argument, I suppose, that a lot of people will make. Well, he's not ever won anything in his career, so how good he could be. And I'd like, a little bit like we wanted Messi to win the World Cup to make it absolutely undisputed that he was the best of all time. He's got to win somewhere. I'd love to see him win a Premier League. Just one. But let's be fair. If, you, if, you, if you're looking at it at that angle, what did Shearer win? He won the Premier League with Blackburn. And then did he get a cup maybe after that with Newcastle? Apart well, from that, he Premier didn't really win anything, did he? But that's but... what I'm saying. So if he wins one Premier League, I would be happy. I mean, now, I've got no um, foot in either camp on that because it's not a Leeds United player. I don't support. Spurs, the Dutch part, Manchester United, clearly does part Manchester United. So it's not necessarily going to be the end of the world for me. But I think as an Englishman, seeing someone at the top of his game as he's been for so long, it would be a, a, a crying shame to see him not win anything substantial. I'm going to go completely up against against you because there's no way in the world I want to see a player that good play for the scum. So <laughs> uh, no, I don't want him to join. I'm not uh, in the same number- league anymore, so it doesn't matter to me. Number four, a uh, player we've talked about before, very impressive, 27% conversion rate and would be surprised if he isn't uh, snapped up by someone decent this year is Jonathan David of Lille. Uh, a Victor Art special, someone who Leeds were linked with really strongly and decided again sign him and has gone on to be a world beater. What a shock. Uh, two fantastic players coming in at five and six and I'm almost surprised at their 
uh, not, I wouldn't call it low conversion rate, but I'm surprised they weren't higher up. Is five is Mbappe with 26%, and at six is Ozerman at 25%. So, uh, given that they are both the top scorers in both their respective leagues, you wondered whether that might have been slightly higher. Uh, a crazy one that I think I could see some. Uh, in fact, I'm reading now, apparently he's already signed for Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Is a pender. Yep. A yep. Very, very good uh, player from what I've seen. 24% and banged him in for, for Lens. So he hasn't um, signed for them yet, I don't think. Um, I think AC Milan want him and uh, Leipzig are definitely after him. But I don't think he's actually officially signed. You, you may be right. I may have read that wrong, but it says set for a move to Leipzig. But we'll see. Is what it says. They're going the quite desperately media. for him. I think there's. A, I think they've put in two bids already. So he's Belgian, isn't he? I don't think he's French. I think he's Belgian, but very, very good yeah. player. Um, number eight, equal eight, is Ledwandowski with twenty one percent. Also eight, he's had a very, very good season. If not, and we'll come on to the Champions League final because we haven't talked about it yet. Poor, uh, very good season, but didn't have a great game. Is Martinez for Inter twenty one percent. And then finally, the, the, probably the surprise package in there with a 20% conversion rate. I know a lot of teams, including AC Milan, who you say are certainly looking at him, is uh, Balogun of Arsenal. He's had a good season. He's had a very good season. 21 goals for Reims, who, you know, are not exactly known for being a, a, a big team or uh, having, you know, doing very well. But um Chose to play for the American national team, didn't he? Which is a strange one. And I've got to be honest, if I was Arsenal, given that they need to kick on, I personally see him as a better player than Ketia. I would sell in Ketia and get Balogun back and and, and swap him in with with, with Jesus, as as my own view, rather than Ketia. um, Would the argument not be to cash in? If you're not going to play Balogun this season, agreed, by the way, I think Ketia is not quite at that standard unless he improves drastically. Um, I could certainly see Nketiah at a, like a Palace, and I think they've been linked with him previously. But would you argue, if you're not going to play Ballinger next season, I'll slot him in, it's the perfect time to cash in on him? Yeah, probably, because, I mean, particularly the, the seasons he had, his, his value is probably at the highest it's going to be. If he goes back to Arsenal, hardly plays, scores a couple of goals in the cup matches, then you're right, his value is going to plummet, isn't it? So you, you're probably right that if he, if they were going to get rid of him, now would be the time. But... Um, yeah, I just thought some of them were quite interesting uh, as general points. Um, I think final point on football we've got to discuss is obviously the Champions League final. Yeah, I've got to do. Um, City obviously winning the the treble, um, capitalising on a fairly... They're not a weak team and they, they're obviously good in their own right, but it was pretty one-sided. I appreciate that there were some big chances for Lukaku when he comes on um, for Inter, but they only really looked like one team that were going to win that. And I thought City were fairly dominant and good odds for the win. And obviously they're now in history in terms of the, the treble and that specific treble, which a lot of Manchester United fans aren't particularly happy with um, because they're now obviously the second team to do that, second English team to do that. It was one of those games that was very. We were talking about it when obviously me and the boys watched it out in uh, in Exeter, um, and we were both saying before how it all had the the potential with the players there to be one of those games, and you want it to be a a four three, a five four, you know. A, a, but that's not how Italian teams play. It was pretty turgid and boring. I thought 
I mean, Haaland might be one of his quietest games I've seen all season. I think he had one chance pretty early on, didn't he, that Anana saved with his feet, which was a decent save. Um, I think you've got to give shout-outs for me personally. I thought John Stones had an incredible match and was probably man of the match My man of the match. My man and uh, a very, very cool and calm and collected finish from Rodri uh, to seal it. But um, definitely won't go down in history as one of the best Champions League finals. It was certainly no... Uh, ironically, given it was in Istanbul, it certainly wasn't the same as the last time the final was there in 2005. No. Um, there were a weird stat where the goal that City scored in was the only goal that was that, that had any goals in um when you played AC. Which were really strange, obviously, because of the the switching halves and stuff. Um when obviously you lost that final, the Champions League final uh, a few years back, you went out and made two big signings, didn't you, with Allison and uh Van Dijk. City on the back of winning that, I'm just reading now, uh odds on to sign Gardeval. Now you get to the point where, and we won't go into this because we'll be talking for days, there's all these breaches or rumoured breaches of FFP, loads of issues that are ongoing in the background with financial regulations, etc. On the back of winning a treble, they're now going to go and splash, what we're talking, 60 to 80 million on... I think it's more best... than that. I thought he had a... I thought I'd thought read, and again, I could be wrong, it's something like a £97 million release clause is what I thought Ridiculous. He and he's one of the best up-and-coming... I mean, I know we argued this, oh, not us personally, but other people argued this with Delict uh, a few years back, but Gardevoir is probably arguably one of the best up-and-coming centre-backs in the world at the moment. You add that to the team that's already doing fantastically well... Let's say they get another centre midfielder. Obviously, it looks like uh, Gundogan might be on his way out, whether they convince him to stay or not. I know he's been rumoured with Arsenal, but which would be a weird move for him. Um, but what what is the point anymore? You get to the point where you've got such a dominant force that are constantly improving. They're able to spend whatever they want to spend. You look at Calvin Phillips, for example. He sat on bench. They paid, what, £45 million for him. Sat on bench all season. Now a treble winner. Probably the least amount of football ever played required to win a treble and they haven't done anything with him it was just we can throw his weight about bring him in and he counts as a homegrown player and they'll probably sell him in the summer so i uh, i mean it's crazy really because um when you look i mean it feels like they're particularly with a game it uh you know john stones it feels like they're moving john stones slowly into midfield maybe again trying the kind of inverted fullback type of approach that they were liverpool tried with um Trent or they did with with Cancelo so it sounds like he feels like he could be moving into midfield um the one that surprised me that I think needs to or two players that I think need a shout out for uh for City that you wouldn't have thought would have done as well as they have at the back and and makes it even more strange why they need reinforcements there is Ake and Akanji Akanji's been incredible uh, all season I, it was one of those signings I think when he first did sign as well um, again, you can correct me here. I thought, I recall that you questioned that signing, thinking he's not going to get in above the, the players that they already had. Uh, obviously came from Dortmund and he's been a mainstay realistically for the, the latter of the season. Absolutely. And I mean, Ake, Ake seems to have made the left-back position his own. I mean, I mean he's centre-back by trade, but he's been managing to get forward and, and, and do a good job there. Um, so it's, it, 
it just feels like it rubs it in for the rest of the teams, just as someone like Liverpool, we're, we're building, looking like we're trying to get back involved. And then they just go out and buy the best young centre-back in the world just to throw in to the rest of their team. You're like, what's the fucking point? I agree. It just... Now, I'm not going to say that I'm glad that we're out of that league, but us being out of that league is a little bit more refreshing because we might win some next season and not get absolutely destroyed by Manchester City and their you know, unlimited resources at this point. So um be interesting to see what, what happens next season, whether you're going to get a title charge from someone like Arsenal and whether it can be sustained this season or next season, that is. But um yeah, it's more bitter from me um and sort of sour grapes, but I still don't like to see it. Uh, I'm quite happy this week because uh, we finally get to see Josh Taylor uh, be made a fool of since the Jack Catterall fight. I've had a bit of a vendetta against him and he got absolutely dominated by Lopez in this fight. It wasn't even close. The scorecards were a bit of a joke, to be honest, because some of them had him only winning by two rounds. Um, He's outstanding, is Lopez. He's absolutely outstanding. I I, I totally agree. Incredible boxer. Um... The crazy one for me is you. I, I, I heard rumours of this, but didn't you confirm it to me? Um, if that he has actually retired, which again, we, we I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, you doubt this, and I can see why you doubt it. Um, he posted on his Instagram um, just hours after winning the world title. Uh, what a relief! Retired at the top. Thank you, Boxing, for the amazing life you provided for myself and my entire loved ones. The double greatest. Hashtag Jesus is King. Um, you get the feeling that with him being 25 years old, that this is just a bit of a publicity stunt, which I can absolutely understand that. We see this all the time. Don't we? We've seen it with McGregor. We've seen these other... Tyson Fury is another one. Um, I think there's there's too much for him to not do in his career. I think if he was retiring, we're not talking about a Nunes, for example, where you're retiring on the top and you've got nothing left to do. If you're retiring on the top, yes, but there are other things that he can do in his professional career. And I think 25 years old is a very early age for a boxer to retire. Has anyone ever retired at that age? Who's a No, like no, a and, and you've nailed exactly what my point was going to be, which is I'm all in, in accordance exactly with you with the Nunes going out on the top when you've done it all. You know, he's just won one version of the belt, the WBO. Um, he's got a lot more to do. There's a lot of fights at that weight that he could he could carry on and do. And maybe, I'm being cynical here, maybe he's made enough money that, again, doesn't want the brain damage. He's got a, a life out, you know, some businesses. He's got a life outside of uh, boxing that he doesn't really need to get up and do that anymore. But for me, that's that's a waste of talent. I'll be quite honest, it feels like to me to retire at 25 like that. It's not a Nunes. He hasn't conquered the world. If, it, if he's retiring again as, you know, undisputed champion, beating all comers, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I get it. I would agree. And I'm, I'm a big fan of people going out on, on, on the top. But for me, he is a long, long way from that. And it feels like, I wouldn't say nonsense just to try and get a better payday because I think he would still get a better payday anyway but I just can't fathom the reasons behind it I suppose would be the, the best way I could describe it well obviously he's beaten Loma he's he's beaten Taylor and handed him his, his first uh, professional loss so I think there are bigger and better things for him to go on to I think you're probably right he's he's probably a, a little bit at a crossroads 
um, admittedly, because he, he'll probably feel like top of the world. And um, obviously, once you've been in a fight, a lot of adrenaline runs through you, um, apparently. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't see this as a, a serious retirement, and we'll certainly see. Um, on a bit of a different note, when it comes to this, so the the fight is this. Josh Taylor, I am absolutely desperate for a rematch with Jack Catterall. And it would make sense for him now because his stock has obviously decreased a little bit. He's lost his titles. Um, The rumours are that he's going to once again duck this rematch with Jack Catterall and he's going to move up to welterweight if he can't fight Lopez again. I can't help but feel he's just trying to duck it as as quickly as he possibly can because he knows he got absolutely battered in that first fight and I feel like it happened again. Don't disagree with you. Uh, as you say, I, I also wanted him to get his comeuppance because he, he, that was a blag of a, a result, that fight. Um, he's one for me. I've, I've got a bit it doesn't really make, you know, not that bothered about him either way, if I'm honest with you. J- uh, Josh Taylor doesn't really. He, he's English, you know. Uh, there's plenty of other English Scottish. fighters that... Scottish. Well, he, well fucking <laughs> then he's a jock. But um, so <laughs> there's, there's plenty of other sort of home nation fighters that I would get behind before I would I would care about him really so irrelevant really to me not that bothered either way what happens with him um as you say more just find it a a waste of talent for for, for Lopez and, and and we'll see how that develops but if I was a better man um I will, we'll see him back in the ring within a year last thing then just to end this episode on um Mayweather is going on his world tour and of his ridiculous uh exhibition fights uh john got the third um <laughs> it's just absolutely comedic so mass brawl erupted after it was waved off because of uh, essentially constant sledging and bad mouth in between the fighters um <laughs> literally everyone just gets in the ring descends into chaos in florida last night um and then they all just start fighting it was nonsense. Uh, John got it, came out and said that Mayweather is an enemy for life. So I doubt that. Which is rematch. not what you want to hear from one of the, the, the Teflon Don's grandson, <laughs> one of the world, the most famous gangsters in the whole world who ran, uh, you know, literally ran the New York families of the mafia for the best part of 20 years. Uh, he is not someone that I would be wanting to make an enemy of. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, John got his on, on the phone to his, uh, his, uh, his granddad in prison saying, um, you know, any guys that want to kneecap uh, Mayweather um, on that one? But yeah, that did not see. I mean, there was no judges, which for an exhibition is just ridiculous. Just letting the ref judge it. Um, I didn't see it. You told me that what, what happened in terms of, why it was stopped. Uh, I did see footage of the, the mass brawl uh, afterwards, but I wasn't entirely, entirely sure why that happened. But I mean, how much more money can this man make just fighting bums? I mean, John, John don't get me wrong. I'm not calling John Gotti a bum by any stretch, but he's a you professional MMA Jesus fighter. Christ. He's, he's a professional MMA fighter. He's not a boxer. He's an MMA fighter and he's not a bad one. He, he was up, up and coming. He's been making his way through the, the New York sort of local scene probably got a, I can't tell you the top of my head, but a record of probably something like eight and two, nine and two, no joke. You know, he was working his way up, putting his time in was, was, you know, pretty serious about becoming an MMA fighter. So again, I don't know why he's even remotely 
involved in fighting um, Mayweather in an exhibition, apart from the dosh. Obviously, he's getting paid for it, but, um, you know, can't hate a brother for that. But how many more of these ridiculous exhibitions from Mayweather are we going to see before it gets time gets called? I'd just like to issue a tapping up apology to John Gotti, who I'm sure listens to this on a regular basis. Um, we are not bad-mouthing you, and we never would. Uh, your family is great, and, um, yeah, the other things that we would like to say to you are all positive, I'm sure. I've got his granddad's book. I fucking love the Mafia. The, the Teflon <laughs> Don is one of my favourite people ever, so I certainly would not bad-mouth him. But, um, yeah, I, I get, just a strange choice of opponent for Mayweather. You know, fights and boxers, fights and like you know, that stop picking on kickboxers. You know, tiny little kickboxers like he fought in Japan. Um, you know, professional MMA fighters. This is the 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 selection of people that he's fighting is just got to a point where it's just become a bit of a joke. To be perfectly honest with you, and I, I um I lose interest in it anyway. He's clearly got the most obscene lifestyle ever, and just needs constant money because. He owns a strip club. He's got $10,000 million cars and, and, and the rest of it. But it's just got, it's just, it's just beyond the joke for me. Some of these ones with Mayweather now, they're just no interest in watching them whatsoever. Floyd Mayweather 101 these days, though, isn't it? Um, good time to end it, I think. Uh, so thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.